doing that, I was face to face with it. It was holding me by my throat. And it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's, there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. That they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth, be able to speak in people's languages. And at that point, it kind of converge into this one entity, which will be revealed as extraterrestrial. You'll realize that aliens are the gods of old. And at that point, it'll wipe religion out of the context of humanity. No, it couldn't have been a person. I know that. I know that people can't run through the woods like that. So this thing comes into view, and I see it. It's 50 yards away from me. It's walking. It's walking on two legs. It's huge. This is a big, hairy looking being. Welcome. I'm your host. And this is uncomfortable. Welcome back, my friends. I am your host, Eric Salagi. Hey, if you've had an uncomfortable experience and you'd like to have it aired on the show, please get a hold of me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. Please make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both at Uncomfortable Podcast 65. And most importantly, please share the show. Sharing the show with others is the best way that you, the listener, can help in getting us out in front of other people. And when you do, please leave a five-star rating and review wherever you can. Uncomfortable-pod.com is now up and running, and that's the official landing page for Uncomfortable Podcast and any of the other things that I have going on. So if you have time, head over there and check it out. To you who came out and supported me at Bigfoot and Brews this past September 9th, thank you so much. It was another success. And we have been invited back to do Bigfoot and Brews 3. So, looking forward to that next September. Tentative for the date is the 14th. And don't be surprised if there might be a little change to the name, which might be Bigfoot and Brews and Spirits 2. So, keep an eye out. We are closely approaching... October 7th, and that is the weekend of 40 and Airwaves in Ada, Ohio. You can join us. $50 gets you all the VIP treatment. That is Friday night meet and greet and a panel discussion with the boys from Hollow Sky Podcast, Kill the Mockingbirds, Cryptids of the Corn, The Bump Podcast, Uncomfortable Podcast, and Appalachian Intelligence. All day Saturday on the 8th, I believe it is, 6th, 7th, and 8th, um, on the 7th, that Saturday, you will have from five, uh, six, seven, eight hours, eight, roughly eight hours of each one of the podcasts getting up in front of you and doing a live show. 
And then after that is over at 5 p.m., we will have a joint panel discussion where the audience will be interacting with us. And then Sunday morning, you will be going just up the road a couple of minutes to have a pancake breakfast with all of us. Now, we are releasing a block of tickets just for the Saturday that does not include early entry into the vendors area. That does not include the panel after five o'clock. This is just purely and simply. You can come in for $25 and see those six podcasts do their thing. That ticket is $25. All of that is available on the link tree link that I'm going to have in the show notes below. Just choose that one day ticket. Again, that does not include any of the VIP treatment Friday night after the conference on Saturday and then the breakfast Sunday morning. It does not include that. My guest tonight reached out to me via email. And this the show originally started out to be Bigfoot, UFOs, hauntings, and things like that. As you all have known, it has attracted a number of people who have been in various parts, various stages of spiritual awakenings. And this lovely lady, Carla Adams, reached out to me. She has authored a book, and it is basically a recollection of her spiritual journey and the techniques that she uses to help people who are on their journey, um, both for the living and for those who have already passed. So if you would, please give a warm, uncomfortable welcome to Carla Adams. Carla, welcome to Uncomfortable. Great. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I appreciate being here. We appreciate you being here as well. Carla, you know, you sent me a, you sent me a, a list of bullet points. And some of the things um, ring true with me. Uh, I've heard, heard of before. I've, I've had discussions about before. Um, I'm interested, though. Let's, let's get into... Let's get into what what prompted your need your necessity for a spiritual awakening, a spiritual journey. Was there was there something that happened in your life? Was it just a it's about time thing? Um, what what prompted your your delving into this? Well, I think I've always been on a spiritual journey. I'm, I've always been a very spiritual person and loved God or, you know, what, whatever name you want to hold for God. And But I was raised in the typical um, Protestant churches. And then um, at some point in my um, adult life, I was, I was a single mom for 16 years and I was my boys were like in high school, junior high age, and and I ended up leaving the the church. Went to a different church um, that was new, and 
um, then in that denomination, I met my husband and we got, had got married, but we were both on a, a truth journey, try to find truth, whatever it was, uh, especially spiritually, but also in the world. And so that was back in 2008. And so the journey continued from there, but it came to a a, um, a point a few years ago um, that I'm referring to when I s- say that this is about my spiritual journey, and there were some things that had happened. My father had died, and there was problems, and I had gotten um, fired from a job, and so that was hard for me to take, right, as a perfectionist. And so anyway, I kind of pushed through those for a, a number of years, four or five years, just going about life, not dealing, trying to avoid or um, pretend they didn't happen, maybe was another way to say it. And then my husband and I were um, had saved money and were um, had begun to homestead off-grid on a little mountaintop and it was really hard physical work it was really hot weather we didn't have enough money (laughs) to do what was needed to be done we spent um the first fall we were there we got severe i got really sick and then we got had setback after setback and then it got so cold and we didn't have the place winterized so we um moved back where we were for a few months and then came back again in the spring. And in the spring, then when money ran short again, um, I guess was when it all started um, to come to a head. And I realized how much I had not dealt with grieving for my father and how much I had not dealt with Um, my feelings associated with losing the job and other related problems that were happening. And so I had, after a few months, I got to a place where I just knew I had to do me. I had to find out why I'd been so sad all my, so much of my life, why I'd have problems all my life, basically, and find something that would heal me and I could help others in the same, and particularly um, help my children, right? They were growing and on their own by that time, but it was like, you know, I would want to help them too if, if they would let me, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it, it's very common to hear that somebody does turn to, to that in their life especially in the circumstances like you had you're, <clears throat> you'd lost someone close to you um you'd lost a job all very very impactful very traumatic things in a person's life and and that does tend to make it more obvious when there is something that's lacking in your in your life and um you know, it's it's a very common thing that I come across when when talking to people. Um, so, what what was the first thing that you started to uh, try to delve into? Was it you know, like from my perspective, um, I refer to um, God or whatever people want to call that. Uh, I, I refer to it as a creator. Um, I am not 
I am not, I don't, I don't profess to believe that anybody's belief systems are wrong because at the end of the day, we just don't know. Um, too many religions throughout the world are so similar, but yet have vast differences in them that it's obvious that they all started at the same point and have um, mutated into into what they are because of the the inner intercession of man and whenever you introduce man into the equation everybody always has a a narrative that they want to push and whether it's to control a segment of people or whether it's to instill fear in people to get them to react and do things in a, in a manner that is conducive to whatever they're trying to portray um, the outcome of. So, you know, it, it's been, I was born and raised Catholic, uh, for the first 12 or 15 years of my life. I'm not practicing. Um, it is funny how those formative years though, when, even though I'm not practicing and I do hear something that resonates with me as having been in the Catholic church, it's, it's very hard for me to not like latch onto that, to be like, Oh yeah, that, that's, because I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I, I believe there is a creator. I believe there is someone um, who probably was not named Jesus Christ. Um, probably doesn't look like the depiction that we most know uh, him to look like. Um, but I do think that there is that, um, that entity does exist. And I, and I think, you know, I think a lot of the religions probably get pretty close to being right, but I, so it's it's very difficult for me to to grab on to any one thing. I I I feel that for myself, my relationship with my Creator has become infinitely greater when I decided to eliminate somebody at a pulpit standing there telling me how to, what to, when to, um, it, it's become a more, more fulfilling, a little more confusing. Yes. Um, but at the same time, more fulfilling by not being dictated to. And, uh, it, it, it's, I think it's more gratifying for myself. Um, now what interests me about what you have to say is the number of tools that you are using and dispersing to people who who subscribe to your methodology um, of how to get there and how to how to spiritually fortify themselves how to reach a higher plane and you know some of these things include some some pretty scientific stuff you know like with biofeedback and uh the the resonance of certain frequencies um not that that's anything that is new and that you develop because i mean frequencies have been known to um to resonate with different parts of the body and the chakras and you know that that's been around for for years and years but nevertheless you've implemented those into your your uh, 
your methodology. And let's get into to some of those. I'd especially like to um, to get into the use of tuning forks and the and the biofeedback. Um, that that's very interesting to me. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. The um, I just wanted to add, you were kind of talking a little bit about your journey in the churches. Um, we had my husband and I had ended up leaving the Protestant church, and in fact, leaving. Christianity, um, and leaving any organized religion, um, because we feel that er every religion has its hierarchy, right? Even new age (laughs) has a hierarchy. And what we have found, what I, I have experienced intimately is that God or the universal spirit, um, I don't even like to use the word God because it's so associated with religion, but um, that um, that God, this being, um, is has no hierarchy, and it's abundance and free will, and versus fear and lack and control, and. So anyway, that's that was part of our journey in in defining for ourselves well what is true on the creator, right? What is true and for us and um, tuning forks. Yeah, I when when we had left the homestead, uh, it was about the first thing I came across. Really, um, I was listening. I just started listening to all sorts of things on the internet, um, trying to find something. And I had signed up for a documentary or, a, you know, the web series things. It had about to do with electric health things. And I, I come across a um, interview with Eileen Day McCusick, who had established or discovered basically the power of tuning forks in the human biofield and had mapped out the emotions that are found in the human biofield. It's basically our mind, right? It's full of our emotions. It's like the rings on a tree. It holds the records of our lives year by year. And the tuning forks work with this because all our emotions are vibrations, right? They're all our thoughts, our intentions, our emotions, our vibrations, and they flow in the light waves of the universe. Our, um, our, into our, us enti- out our entire us. existence is vibration. Yes, it is. And so when we hold, when we have emotions, especially the ones that we would think of as bad, you know, like too much anger or hate or sadness or grief, or but it can be happy feelings too. But anything that takes us out of being centered in our mind and spirit, you know, with the hemispheres of our brain balanced so that we're calm and choosing what we want to do instead of reacting and everything, when it pulls us out of that for a certain length of time, then these light waves, these frequencies, these particles that make up our emotions freeze in the light waves. And these pockets of frozen stuck energy is what the tuning forks find. So these stick in our biofield at whatever age we were when we had those emotions. 
And the tuning forks, sound waves are a form of light waves. You know, they're on the same, just a different wavelength, basically, right? And so when the sound waves intersect with these pockets of frozen energy, energy, then they make a tone that's not their normal tone. Sometimes it's screechy or really low and moany. Um, Particularly, I don't rely a lot on my hearing for telling the difference in how the fork sounds because I don't think my hearing is what I would like it to be, right? I would like it to be better. And so, but what I found is that I feel it in my body. So I can tell when it, when the fork crosses this dissonance, a vibration that's not vibrating as it should be, then it's, I feel it as dissonance. And so you, it, this dissonance is, or the off tone is what your mind hears, realizes it's not what it's supposed to be and releases the particles. And then again, the sound waves have magnetism. And so then you draw the fork with you, with the fork through the rest of your field and dump them into the central chakras. Um, so you can use that energy again because it's part of you. It was your emotions that got stuck, right? And so you can use them again. And so I just thought this was wonderful um, because it wouldn't just make me feel better. It these, what happens is these um, pockets of stuck energy, they block your normal flow. So we have our divine blueprint is what I like to call it of how we were all created and, and made the, the design. And so these pockets kind of are blocks in the way like um, traffic blockades, right? And so as the energy comes flowing, it has to find a way around. And so, so it finds those patterns or finds, makes other patterns and flows. And then eventually it changes how you're reacting because you're not just staying in center. You know, soon you have a history, a pattern, a habit, chronic habits of always being in fight or flight or always reacting in certain ways when certain things happen and it's subconscious lots of times and you don't even know how why you're reacting that way is just you always have and then it's these same um, blocks and stuck particles and things in our field that eventually lead to um, illness or injury or disease in our body because it blocks the flow of that energy into our bodies. Now, the woman that you said you came across who had essentially developed this this technique, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I struggle because I have, I have a very open mind when it comes to all of this stuff, and this stuff being, you know, kind of like what I guess would be considered like new age type uh uh, self-help and 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 the you know hauntings and ufos and you know the existence of bigfoot and and all these things i have i have no problems with quantifying the the existence of these things um when you got into this was she able to pattern some kind of a scientific um 
proof that when using these tuning forks, was she able to measure the uh, the the resonance or the frequencies that were? Could she tell when they were bouncing off of something that would be considered, you know, a blockage or or uh, something that we were holding on to, or or is it simply a and not to discount it, but is it simply a uh, a feeling of the person who's using this and and whether or not they feel it's working for them? Was there was there scientific evidence to show that the use of these frequencies are doing what she says they are, or are they? Is it more of a? I don't want to say a placebo because I don't mean it to be that, but you know, it, if it works for somebody. It works for somebody, you know, for, for some people praying is a very legitimate way of, of seeking help and getting answers for other people. It doesn't work. You know, they have to find something else to get through the day. So I, I guess it does, it, does that make any sense to you? I mean, well, I believe that I can't speak for her in any way, but I um, believe a lot of it started out as case studies. She was a massage therapist, and then um, one time, as I've heard her say, she had happened. She had been using tuning forks and and during a massage session, and people liked them. She wasn't using them in this way, but just holding them over the body to help relax muscles and mm-hmm. and bring pleasant, um, you know, re- calm and relaxation. And she had struck the fork further away from the body as she had looked out the window and was walking back to the person and struck the fork in a different place. And that's when she noticed it was the really totally different sounds coming at different parts. And so a lot of it's based on case studies, but um, she's, um, I believe now working on her uh, doctorate degree in it. And there's been scientific studies of different portions of it and and the the results of how it consistently helps people mm-hmm. well i just uh, you know i i hate social media i i do i hate it with a passion but it's a necessary evil uh especially when you're doing something like a podcast or you know trying to get a message out now it it is a necessary evil but i literally today saw a um saw a bell that was used uh, with a, a soft covered uh, mallet to like almost instantaneously stop a baby from crying. Hmm. It was the bell was held near the crib and it was struck and it generated a tone. And within two or three seconds, the child went from just being really, really upset to a blank look on their face and eyes closed and went to sleep. And I was like, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's nuts. Um, you know, I've, I've argued for years that, you know, res different resonant frequencies and different vibrations are are the key to a number of of the things that I cover on my show and it's it's not that they are that vastly 
different. It's just that we've not been able to find a way to understand why it's happening or how it's happening. And I think the keys to many of those things are vibrations, frequencies. And intention, right? And intention, yes. Uh, especially when you start talking about the spiritual stuff, uh, whether it's whether it's good or bad. Um, you know, there's whether you believe in the devil or you don't, um, people that do believe in the devil and use that use that energy of intention to to put behind things that they want to have happen. Um, it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. If they believe it, that's that's the key to it. And you know, negative things can happen from it. So Right. So are there is there a is there a um, you know, like on a guitar, you have six strings or you have seven strings or you'll have 12 strings and each one of them generates a certain, uh, a certain note as you strum it. Are there a number of different tuning forks that resonate in different frequencies that are used for specific things? Um, well, yes, even like my chiropractor has a certain tuning fork. He, I was telling him about what I was, what I did, um, and he was showing me, he pulled out a, from a drawer a tuning fork that he uses to test where people's broken bones are, you know, where the break is in a bone and things. But, um, but yeah, um, I use definitely different vibrations are known or work better in one case than another but even more than that it seems to me that it's the person each person uh, each session that I do you know some people's biofields it's like more more often than not I'm directed by intuition by spirit to to um use a certain one in their field and rarely use others. And so it just kind of, it really depends on what is the emotion or that stuck energy that needs to be cleared that day. And the, the own per the own, each individual's personal um, energy and how it is. But like some of the forks that I um, I should say probably my favorites are uh, weighted forks. They have metal knobs on the end, so they don't make a tone like the others, but they vibrate. And when you use them together, they form the vibration of the sacred spiral and the building block of life, right? And I just love that because we're all, all our energy runs in spirals, bi-directionally in spirals. And they work so um, well um, and deeply and they're so strong and help release a lot of really stuck energy. Whereas, say you might want to use a, a 528 fork, which is very small. Um, it's known for DNA repair. It's also very... Um, soothing to the energy work. It's um, like um, tuning forks are kind of like sandpaper where where the weighted forks are like 
um, large grade sandpaper that you might use when you're trying to rub um, scrape paint off something, right? And so it would be really rough and you don't want to get your hands on a whole lot because it might hurt your finger, your right. skin, right? Right. And, but then if you do a lot of finish work, like I've refinished furniture or, you know, if you're painting something and you varnishing something and you are always supposed to put a, a real, very, very fine layer of uh, sanding on between coats of um, varnish, right? Yeah. And uh, you would use a small fork, because the the wavelengths are different, right? Yeah. And so so it all depends on what energy is being cleared and the individual energy of the person. So you're talking about the um, the sacred spiral. I assume you're referring to the Fibonacci sequence that creates the the spiral that looks much <laughs> like if you saw a half section of a um, a nautilus from uh, from the ocean. Correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, I am. That's Mm -hmm. interesting. They're from the Fibonacci series. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And so the the two of them used together, then the difference in their vibration is the vibration that is entrained into the energy you're working with. And that, that difference then when you use those two forks is the sacred spiral. There's another pair of weighted forks that are um, the Schumann resonance, right? So the difference between them is is the Schumann resonance of, of Earth. And so it it's all good, right? They're all good. Right, right. <laughs> it, so it's you, just whatever is needed. So you actually perform this on people? Um. Yes, I started out doing it in per, in person and then the the covid hit and then so it's but it's I do 99% of my work um virtual now. Um usually I use Zoom, but it works just the same as in person because it's the universe is light waves and intentions, right? And it's the not just uh, within the light waves I should say is the particles of light, right? And the space between those particles. And the space between the particles isn't just air, it's spirit, right? And so that's the communication, the the sentiency of God, so to speak, that we're all made of. And so I work, that's how the, by intention and spirit, is how the sessions work. And so I just have a massage table and I use a, a like a vinyl poster that kind of has a general layout of a generic human body on it that um, kind of has some key points in case I just happen to forget. It kind of gives me something to, to uh, remind me. Um, of different emotions or thought patterns that are found wherever they're found in the body. And it works just the same in person as in, as on zoom. And so, yeah, I use Is that because the frequencies that you're generating with the forks are coming through audibly, audibly to the person through a set of speakers or through their headset or 
are you are you saying that because of what you're doing there and taking into con- consideration quantum entanglement that the vibrations that you're creating there do eventually find the person that is in need of it absolutely yes are you and there's not really a time i mean you i can do a session with the intention that the person receive it when they're sleeping like maybe they can't come in person because they had to work too late or something like that but they want me to go ahead and do it well i just hold the intention they get it when they're sleeping and and they do that's interesting and they they see that not everybody feels it right um not everybody feels vibration from the forks not everybody feels an emotion like often when it's the forks are dissolving the pockets or releasing the pockets of stuck energy you'll feel that emotion that was stuck in there Mm -hmm. but not everybody does but they notice the changes in their lives because the blocks of their flow were removed and so they become happier and feel more lighthearted and are more uh, as time progresses, as more and more, say, sessions are done, as the person puts their own intention into their own um, personal growth and spiritual walk, then then they notice big, huge shifts in your patterns. So, like, maybe when, say... Um, I'll just use my husband as an example. If there's always something he did that I always got mad at, well, you know, fairly soon you'll find yourself not mad, right? Hmm. Not getting mad at that time or feeling mad, but then realizing, oh, that's just the old story. I mean, you don't say it consciously, but you, you start to feel it. And then it's like, that's not right. That's not how I am anymore. And, and it's really, really beautiful how it, how it changes our lives. Yeah. And it doesn't just change the person's life who's receiving it. Right. Um, it changes, it goes back in time because the spirals are bi-directionally right. And the flow of life from the beginning of time continues through the light waves throughout the centuries and so it changes your family history it changes those and well i shouldn't say it It doesn't change what actually happened right but it changes the hearts and the minds of the people um where they are now even though they're dead it changes them right and the ones that are still living like say say just for me then your your mother or your grandparents if they're still alive you would notice shifts beginning in them not as quickly as in your as in the person but shifts happen and it happens in your children so how, and their uh, old patterns start to shift how does that how does that happen through Say you say you did a session with me. How does it how does it go through my kids? How does it go through my mom and dad who have passed already? Is it just simply because of the entanglement? Because of our our 
relationship are being related to each other? Um, well, I can't say I know everything about it, but I do know that our thought are we don't just inherit eye color and hair color from our parents. Those stuck pockets of energy change their DNA and we inherit their DNA. And so some of some of the pockets, like what I found when I was clearing my own ancestors, because I can do a session on myself, I just pretend I'm the hologram I'm working on and I clear me and the sadness that I'd carried for so long was from my grandmother and because she had lost her mother when she was young and she lost her oldest son and it was like she didn't deal with it, I guess you know, those pockets of energy stuck and something, you know, in my life um, uh, tapped into that D- DNA so that it, that's what turned on in me, right? As, as whatever happens to DNA to make each of us get what we have or what becomes active in us, right? And, and so different traits I found came, um, were things that had been passed down and so it it what this this um a lot of the emotional um i wouldn't say problems they created problems in my life but the emotions themselves aren't problems i should the, the emotions that weighed heavily on me a lot of my life weren't mine because i had a good life i had parents that loved me and took care of me and and but I, I had this and but again, I mean, I had a situation, um, different traumas. We all have traumas in our lives and these traumas um, result in our own stuck energy. And if we already have that um, existing DNA within us of, of ancestors that have this, then we're that much more likely to. Uh, have that of our own too and make that our own patterns so i think just to kind of sum summarize uh, what i'm getting is that that because of traumas that happened to our parents and the the um the the things that stuck and got clogged up in them became a part of their dna that transferred to us via just simply being born. So those things are instilled in us because they were a part of them. And through this process, we can not only clear the things that we've had created by ourselves, but we can clear the things that have, have been instilled in us because of, of our, our parents. And I, I, I can see the, I can see the path on that. I, I can't I, I struggle with trying to see the path of how that would I could see not transferring that to my children had my children not be born yet you know if I cleared myself mm-hmm. of these roadblocks uh, prior to having children then it would make sense that they don't have them when they're born but What's the process? How does that process work if they're already, if they've already gotten screwed up by me because my parents were screwed up? <laughs> right, know? right. Oh, I know. But the, the, um, when we release those particles, 
it changes our own DNA, right? So our, our, our DNA isn't set in stone. It's, it's been proven to, to change as we change. And so that's what changes the ancestors then as well as our intention to help them and help the universe by increasing everybody's voltage in our whole family line, right? But that's how it works in our growing children even. It's, it's their DNA changes. So their backlog of roadblocks isn't there. And so when they'll notice, you can notice small shifts in them or they might not even notice shifts because a lot of them might not have any interest in what you're doing or knowledge of what you're doing to help yourself. And, and so they might not notice it, but as soon as they put their own mind and intention to help themselves, they'll find and realize those changes very quickly. I want to talk to you about the oneness. So in my, in my small mind, the oneness, the um, the collection of all that have gone before us back to the original energy, to the original source. Once they've left, once their energy and their spirit has left their physical body. To me, I would think that they would be cleansed of those things going back to the original energy. It wouldn't, it doesn't make sense to me that they would be allowed to go back to part of the oneness if they were still holding on to all of this, um, this trauma and these, these things that were holding them back. Um, and I, and I think that I think that relates when you talk to people who talk about um, the ascension of our spirit. You know, sometimes it's held back for a while and sometimes you have to go through multiple uh, multiple tries to, to end up getting back to the oneness. Um, is is that is that congruent with like what you're talking about or. Um, well, there was. Um, several different points I would like to eventually connect <laughs> from what you said. Um, the, the, so you'll have to put me back on track as I try to okay, uh, approach each one. The first is that my perception or what I have found the oneness to be, it's not now what it eventually will be. I think eventually it will be all things everywhere and it will it will all be cleansed right and of what you're talking about you know of not be and and that's okay right i mean that's wonderful that's what we hope for right the restoration of all things would be joyful right it would be wonderful and which what most religions lead us to believe happens but 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 it's not what i have found um, in my work, what I find that there are those who are in what I call the oneness now. I in I'm really curious how how everything works, how truth works. I want to know how God works, right? And 
so like I explored the universe with my tuning forks and to me it appears that we have our own biofield, right? And then beyond our biofield, our, our own biofield extend, extends about five to six feet away from our bodies. And then beyond that is attached our ancestral field, which is extends up to about 30 to 35 feet away from our bodies. And then all of us, plus all of nature, all the animals and plants and everything, are in what I have found to be a biofield that I call the biofield of nature, right? It has the earth and the sky and all of us in it. It also has most people, I call them ancestors, who have died that have those um, emotions and energies you've talked about that aren't um, what you would, you know, that hold them back, that hold them back at earth, Mm -hmm. that still hold them back. And it's not, it's when someone dies, what I find, it's not that their spirit and their breath leaves their body. It's their body leaves their spirit because we are, our mind is our biofield. We are spirit beings. And so it's the body that leaves. And then they're left in the biofield of nature with these tech pockets of energy that they still have to work out somehow. They still have to get to the point in their life where they're ready and really wanting to join the oneness, as I call it. The oneness, what I see now, is the, the angels and ancestors. Um, and, of course, everything's made of source. Everything's made of God, of spirit. And so they're... They're the ones that have had that desire, who have have um, been able to make that transition and go to the next realm. And I call that the biofield. I find that to be a biofield as well. Then um, I call it the biofield of oneness. It also has the energy deep under the earth, and it has the energy um, that we would call you know, the atmosphere around us up to a certain point, however long that extends. And then beyond that biofield is unending oneness, which none of us are in yet until the restoration of all things. And then we will all be all. So the Um, the restoration of all things, that being, is, is there something that is referred in other religions, what is the the return to the oneness? I mean, you know, like you, you talk about the biofields and everything, and I, I guess this is kind of a two-part question in that are you gifted like so many are that do you do you see things in a different light? Do you see, you know, like some people are aware of people's auras and, you know, these biofields, are these things that you see around somebody or are, is it more of a, is it more of a, um, an intuition of, of it being there? I, I feel them. Okay. And, and how does that feel to you when you run into that? I mean, that's got to be kind of exhausting for you if if everyone has that and and you're you're um, you're aware of their fields. How does that feel to you when you when you come into close contact with it? 
well, you, I, I guess maybe I'm not tuned in often enough to feel them all the time because I'm, I'm using my own mind to um, do what is in my life, right? And mm-hmm. so I only feel there, there are the live the biofields of the living and stuff of other people when. I'm close enough to be within that five to six feet and I quiet my mind and tune in and then I feel their spirit too. Um, But uh, yeah, most people probably don't. Now with ancestors, the people who have died, um, what I find there are a few people that are able to go directly from their living bodies. Um, when their body dies, there are a few that can go directly to the oneness because they have what is needed at that point of time. But most, the vast, huge majority of people throughout the huge millennia of time, however many millennia that is, right, don't. Um, Everybody used to. Um, I've learned through uh, being in vision and through meditation and I learn a lot through hypnosis um, where I go back in time to me when I was part of the oneness before I became part of the earth and I can tap into and ask them questions and and talk to the ancestors and angels there and ask um, questions so I learn a lot of wisdom for what I need every day. How do how do we do we actually are we making the decision to want to enter into this um, this flesh vessel to experience life as we know it? I mean, are we making a a cognizant decision as a part of the oneness to leave that in order to be in a body? Um, I again, I have to say, I don't know who knows everything, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, but from what I have found um, so far is that we are all part of the oneness, um, just in the oneness, not our own selves. We all start as part of the oneness, and then we individuate into ourselves. So we're still in the in the oneness, in the biofield of oneness, I'll call it that just because that's how I think of it. And we're surrounded by uh, the, the others in the oneness, but we're individuated into our own spirit. And what happened to me was, uh, this is what I learned in hypnosis. It's like I was there and I looked, something drew my attention and I looked to my left in in this vision, hypnotic vision, and I saw the energies of my parents right there, and I knew right away I had a choice. I was given the choice. I didn't have to go there, but I had the choice to go, and and I knew that it was something God or the Spirit want wanted help with, and. I was still in the oneness, and that's, as part of the oneness, that's the spirit's desire, is to know our oneness, to be 
to be that oneness, right? To, to, to know, fully, fully know that you're part of God, right? Part of that oneness. And I wanted to help. And so I, I agreed to go. So I don't know exactly if I was told what what emotions or what hardships would come, or I don't know if I, uh, you know, I've heard people say, well, we choose, um, I really want to work on anger this time, and I want, I want it really hard because I really want to deeply know that or deeply um, work through that or something. I, I don't know what the question was that I agreed to, just that it would coming would help God, right? And I wanted that, and so I agreed to come. Um, I have not found evidence of past lives, or so so the agreeing to come again. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, because I know a lot of people um, uh, um, relay um, information that they seem to have experienced on that and things. I just haven't found that in the biofield at all. But um, I find a lot of ancestors back to the ages. And I find a lot of um, spirit beings and ancestors that aren't helpful here, uh, you know, that are still surrounding us. And um, And those those that still surround us. I don't mean to interrupt you, but those that still surround us, um, do you find that they are having interactions with us? I mean, I've had uh, a number of things that happened throughout my life that would be considered um, paranormal or uh, ghostly um, or or spiritual interaction with um, my dad who passed away when I was you know 21 years old. Um, very, very pointed and decided experiences that ultimately could could lead me to believe nothing else other than it was him. Um, very personal things, um, you know, literally from uh, a, a, a solid object having come up missing and and then showing back up again months later. Um, after scouring, you know, the, the house, um, uh, phone calls at night, um, hearing my dad's voice over the phone, um, throughout, throughout your experience, these, this multitude of ancestors who have not managed to, um, perfect the, the ascension back to the oneness that are still around us, um, are they interacting with us in your estimation? Are are they um, are they what we consider ghosts? Um, I would say yes. Um, uh, not all of them do. I think um, you know they're they're as different um, individually as the living are individually. Right? Everybody has your own your own personality, your own way of doing things. Um, but yes, they're, that's what I find they're around us. And part of their responsibility, if you want to use that word, when they become 
where they're wanting, starting to want to join the oneness and are getting ready. Part of their um, responsibility in getting ready is to is to work in such a way so that it gets their living's attention so that they can f- help them get to the oneness. Because part of what um, the ancestors around us need, what, what I find from them is that they're, I call it grayscale, you know, like a flashlight battery about to die. Or if you set your um, computer, not just to black and white, but, you know, just to everything, grayscale. That's how I see them. It's their voltage. It's very, very, very low, partly because I think our um, bodies probably in general um, um, are part of our voltage or our voltage supply. But otherwise, it's that stuckness of the continuing be in their biofield, the stuck energy. And it's not the way it was meant to be. It was meant and people used to, from what I've seen in vision and meditation, um, is that everybody used to know why we came to Earth and what we agreed on, right, what we were working on. And the the parents knew that, and they would train their children. And I've been learning other things that really play a lot into that process of uh, keeping the, the child in the formative years of like conception to age seven, keeping them in the mindset of God, so to speak, um, and from keeping them from developing as many um, old stories or blocked pathways as, as they do that then changes in their mindset that so often the children lose and they never regain that, um, that knowledge, that spiritual knowledge that they had from being in the oneness. Because the way it was meant to be is that that child retains the feeling of the joy and the feeling of connection with God or with the oneness. And then the parents know what's going on and train them in that way. And so by the time the child's formative mindset is um, ready to... um, not the formative, but when the more adult brain then takes over around the age of eight or so, then the child's pathway is kind of established. You know, their their general mindset, their general um, um, patterns have been established into habits, whereas we don't have that now because of all these lack of knowledge, um, lack of spiritual awareness, lack of knowing who we are. And um, traumas that occur, right? Well, and uh, to add to that, I think um, you know if if what you're saying is correct. Um, nowadays, more than ever, I have seen children. You know, I mean, you can't deny that any one of us listening to this show probably knows more families that are divorced knows more people who have experienced uh, some kind of trauma or abuse as a child or, you know, and the fact of the fact of us just 
digressing into less and less good human beings and continuing to have children and then raising those children in those environments. Um, it's no wonder that the mental health crisis in, in this country, and I would assume throughout the world, is as overblown as it is because there are just too many people having children in really bad situations. And yeah. they're going to hang on to the way that they're treated and the discussions that are had and the way the reactions from their parent or parents, if they're lucky enough, um, you know, when they misbehave or when, you know, it, it floors me to see a, a, a person who is a parent when they are being kind to their child, when they might not be acting the best. And be able to maintain that um, you're a child, I'm an adult, I have control of the situation, and I'm not going to lose my shit over it because you're six years old or five years old or eight years old, you know. Um, so when when I do run into uh, seeing a parent who, who behaves in a manner that is like, wow, you know, people ought to pay attention to how you're parenting. You know, I'm not saying that everybody, you know, that nobody should get a swat on the ass um, because I think that's not a terrible thing. <laughs> it definitely gets your attention when you're a little kid. Um, but, you know, ultimately, <laughs> and I joke with my kids, um, I have I have two wonderful grown children and I joke with them. It's like, man, I had 18 years to screw you up the best I could. And I didn't do a good enough job because you came out too normal. I wish I had, <laughs> wish I had a few more years, you know, obviously I'm joking, but, um, you know, I, I guess I, I see the, I, I see the, um, the path by which these, these people are developing these blockages and these, um, bad habits and, and things that you're referring to. Um, you mentioned in, in your message to me as far as using hypnosis to uh, recall being part of the oneness. Um, is, is that a special... See, I, I have a problem with hypnosis because in order for you to go to a hypnosis and want to find out about what it was like to be part of the oneness, you have to indicate to somebody who's going to put you under that. I want to know what it was like being part of the oneness. So all, all of a sudden you've already created a, a predetermined set of questions that could lead you into, or you could be led into recalling something that maybe is not. And so hypnosis for me, regardless of, you know, whether you were at an alien abduction or, you, you know, it just, I have, I have troubles with it. Um, but how, how does one go about using hypnosis to, to become familiar with what it was like to have been part of the oneness? Well, I've only had, I don't know how, as, um, like I did have a, I had two sessions. Um, one was kind of an introductory to hypnosis, and then 
um, then I had a, a larger session that because I had um, discovered that when I was three that there was some kind of a trauma that it, my biofield held a record of it, and the the, the biofield um, tuner that was working in me, she said it's 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 your you're just feeling extreme terror. And I had no recollection. I had no feelings. Usually I feel those pockets of stuck energy that someone's working in. And nope, I had no feeling at all. I had no memory whatsoever. And so I had prayed. I had asked, you know, for some type of recollection, uh, some type of memory. And I was given uh, a, a vague memory. And then... And and then I should say there I, there had been a um, a couple unexplained patterns in my life, right? That um, I'll talk about uncomfortable. This this makes me <laughs> uncomfortable to talk about, but I'll share it just because um, that when I was little, I we you know most girls have Barbie dolls, right? And so I grew up in a Christian family and had. I really had a good life, but by the um, at some point in my younger years, I don't remember exactly the age, somewhere between seven and nine, maybe. When I would play with my Barbie dolls, I would strip them naked. I would hide behind a chair so no one would see me, and I would strip them and lay them on a little platform. And I would bring in the boy dolls and have them feel them, you know, in their private parts and laugh. And um, I, like I said, I had no recollection of why in the world as a child I felt guilty. You know, all my life kind of I felt ashamed. I never told anyone that, not even my mom. I didn't tell my sister. <laughs> you know, yeah. I didn't tell anything because I was really ashamed of it and had no you know, if I had no memory of it, then it's just my mind doing crazy things and, and I'm bad. Right. right. <laughs> and so, um, so anyway, after this came up in the biofield and I had this vague memory where I was lying on a table and there was a man to my right and there was a, a say a half grown boy, you know, 10 to 11 years old, maybe on my left. And that was all right. So then I, I wanted to do hypnosis. I had always really, really severely had my doubts about trusting hypnosis because of stuff you see on TV, you know, from many years sure. that people uh, act crazy or, Absolutely. you know, you're doing things you don't want to do or stuff. But um, I found someone that I, I trusted Um it was someone I had a rapport with because he had come to me for ancestral clearing with biofield work, and he was a hypnotherapist, and so we traded sessions. And um, he gave me a practice session so I could get used to seeing the difference between what a dream would feel like versus what hypnosis would feel like. And I found out that I was very conscious through it all. It was just that part of me, like my mind, was also somewhere else as well as being very much aware of here and now. And so I um, then did the real session to try to recall 
if there this trauma or more behind this memory I had and more behind why I did the Barbie dolls the way I did, right? And so um, I was led through this session and um, details tons of details that I would never have, you know, like I, where it started, um, it was, I was back in our, I grew up on a farm. It was the big farmhouse, you know, the wooden floors and the tall, tall windows. And I was little, right? I was three and the sunlight streaming in with the dust particles coming in the windows. And I walked across the old kitchen floor that I hadn't thought of in years, but it was that same old pattern and old color. And I walked out the wooden steps out the door and I went to my favorite tree. And then we got in the car and it was a long, long ride and we got out and there was the man and I knew who he was. And because we had visited their family a number of times when I was growing up and he said to me, "Um, you're so pretty, come with me. And I watched my bare feet walk across the grass to a barn or a shed of some kind and he put me on a table and he was touching me inappropriately. He was standing on my right hand side. And then he called to a boy to come look at what he was doing. And the, um, the boy came in and said, you're not supposed to be doing that. That's wrong. And the man said, yeah. And the man said, yeah, I know it's wrong. And he hung his head and he um, let me get up. And then he gave me a dime. He gave me a coin between his fingers and said, go buy some candy. If you tell anyone, you're a bad girl. And so I'm just saying all that because I would have never come up with all these details, right? Right. And they were details. And I, you know, I don't know, to go from there. And so to take, that was the Um, From that, I wanted to find out about the oneness, and I also wanted to find out why um, or how it felt, you know, part of that, um, that sadness I'd always carried or the fear that I'd always carried. And so part of me, another session, this was with a different person, a different hypnotherapist then, um, and so we went through a session um, um, with this this lady now I was working with. And so I was in the oneness, and I told you that experience I had with my parents there, and I agreed to go in. And then I was in, so I felt that, and it felt like I joined my parents, and it was like firecrackers going off. And then it was, it was soft and, and easy, but there was something uh, enclosing me it was like I wasn't as free as I was but it all it wasn't scary it was natural feeling and then I knew I was in the womb and everything was okay and then suddenly I was oh I was in extreme panic and all I wanted was to go back to the oneness and be with that safety that um, I, that's that was what all that I had known since then, yeah. and so, so, uh, and then eventually this the panic subsided, and um, 
and pregnancy continued, I guess, and then then I was born, and I felt being born and push, being pushed pushed out, and then there, I saw a light, and I saw people around me, and I heard someone laughing, and right away I internalized it as laughing at me, right? And then I asked, I had wanted in the hypnosis session to find out, well, what happens to the placenta, right? What happened to mine, Right, because you've heard probably of legal work where people talk about um, the placenta being part of the um, uh, legally being who you really are, right? And and so I wanted to know what happened to mine, and and so the hypnotherapist reminded me, well, what was the what that where's your uh, placenta and I looked around and it was in the trash can and I grabbed it and I was screaming I hate you I hate you I hate you because they had done it on purpose right they had destroyed that connection with God on purpose right not the individuals but the system right the 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 way things are done now and so I'm I'm just saying all that to show you that there's so many Details that you know in your that I know in my spirit are true. Yeah, that I couldn't have come up with all that, and and so that's why I trust it, and that's why I've gone back many many times um, to the hypnotherapist, and I've got her on board now. She enjoys them as much as I do finding out what we're going to learn <laughs> from the oneness, and. Um, uh, so I don't know. Um, I don't remember your question. Well, I, I certainly didn't mean to to put you in a position where uh, to get you to get you worked up and and uncomfortable. Uh, um, <clears throat> I don't remember the question either. <laughs> I, I uh, I'm I'm sorry that you went through um, what you went through, and that's a terrible uh, thing. But, but but yes, we we view it as terrible. But what what I have found that you know all the different traumas of my life, back to losing losing the job, my father's death, you know the other problems involved. You know it was all obviously what I had to go through to learn what I wanted to to learn whatever it was I had to learn right. in order to make the choices I wanted to have the life that I wanted. And I'm where I am now where I can help myself and other people and know who I am and am fully know my connection with source or with this, the spirit and all is good because I wouldn't have got here any other way. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thankful yeah, that's a, that's a very that's a very poignant thing that you say. The, the the point that you make is that everything that we experience in our life is a and this this is not always a good thing because like I was talking about the children that are being raised in 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 bad situations we are pointed in a direction by the things that happen to us, um, not all of us can find that find that step ladder and, and climb out of that hole. Not all of us can do that. Um, 
you know, and the ones that do should consider themselves to be very lucky. Uh, but, but the deal is what I have found is that if you can't climb out of the ladder, so to speak, if you can't come to where you need to be in your life, then you do it after you die. And the people stay in the waiting place. I call it the waiting place. After the Dr. Seuss book of, oh, the places you'll go. And there's a page in there that where people are just waiting for the phone to ring or waiting for the whatever, you yeah. know, all of Dr. Seuss rhymes. They're all just waiting. And that was me in my life, right? I wasn't actively choosing the life I wanted, I thought things happened to me, right? I fully, and, I fully understand that. I fully understand that because I've, I've commented about this before in other shows that, you know, when I was a, when I was a child, everything I did was to please my parents. And when I was a school age kid, I worked really hard to get good grades because I didn't want to disappoint my parents. I didn't go to parties and drink like all my friends did, because if I got caught, my parents would be disappointed at me, and I didn't want to deal with the disappointment or the days of not talking to me for for doing something wrong. So, you know, everything I did was, I felt like I was living for my parents. And then, you know, my dad died when I was 21. My mom kind of... Um, didn't really freak out, but she, she went off and started, she had a newfound freedom. She didn't have a husband anymore. So, you know, she went and started doing her thing and I was kind of like, well, what the hell do I do? You know? And, uh, then I, I end up meeting the, the woman that I marry and I get up every morning and everything I do is to go to work and create a safe and protective environment for her and to eventually be able to buy a house. And then we have kids. And then every time I wake up to go to work, I'm I'm getting up and I'm going to work with the intention to provide for my family. And then we add a couple of dogs into the mix. And now I'm, you know, everything, everything that I did all the time was for other people. And I never did anything for myself. And in fact, when I had the opportunity to do stuff for myself, I didn't do it because I didn't know how to go about doing it. And it wasn't until I started doing this podcast that I actually did something for myself. And it has been the most gratifying thing that I have. I mean, my kids, the birth of my kids, hands down, not even close to the birth of this podcast, but, um, you know, in, in the sense of doing something that fulfills a desire in me, the thing that I like and enjoy doing, it is, it has become that it is. And, and I've had people reach out to me and tell me just having the opportunity to talk and air some of the things that they've been afraid to say to other people because they didn't want to see eye rolls or any of this stuff, you know, to hear somebody say that being on this show or listening to this show has made a difference to them, you know, even in the slightest manner. I mean, I had one woman, God love her. She, she messaged me that, you know, her husband is in hospice and 
she's taking care of them and she in the evening when she gets a break she puts my show on to kind of escape the the stuff that's going on uh you know in in that aspect of her life and i mean you can't help but feel honored by that and i mean there's really nothing i can say to even like remotely come close to saying thanks because that doesn't come close to covering it um but yeah it's but i i want to make a, a um i don't know if it's a point or what <laughs> but i want to share um it'll take me a little bit to get there so like i had started with it more toward the beginning of the podcast you know how we're all made of particles and sp- spirit right Mm -hmm. and how those particles and spirit then make up our cells that make up our tissues and organs and systems and body but we're so much more than a body because it's spirit so we're a sentient being with that mindset of god in us right with actually made of god not just the mindset of god we're made of god and so just like us being the sum total of all our light particles, I see God or the spirit as being the sum total of all particles and all space between those particles everywhere. And that's the being. And because we are all such an integral part of that being and can never be separated, the only separation we know is in our mind because because of traumas or because of lack of knowledge, right? Then because we are such an integral needed part that can never be separated, it is imperative that you and I and each person do what it is that our spirit is calling us to do. Because if we don't, the universe can't be all it is because it's made of us. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a very good point. I've, I've heard that point be made by others that are close to me. Um, not quite in exactly the same terms, but the, the overall, uh, message is, is absolutely the same that spirit we're, we are drawn by guided by, uh, encouraged by spirit that resides in us to eventually do the things that we were meant to do. And I think, unfortunately, I think for some people that is to live out their life suffering and others to not, not necessarily suffer. Um, Well, I don't don't think, I don't understand that. I don't understand the, why people have to go through an entire life of, of suffering that that that's a big disconnect for me when it comes to that yeah i i don't understand everything about it either but i i don't think i know for sure we're not meant life wasn't created here life wasn't meant that we suffer all our life and then we die and then we suffer in the oneness i'm in the um waiting place right we're we're made we're meant for our spirit to lead our mind and we stay in those um, um, unhelpful patterns until we are living as spirit and getting listening putting our mind 
in the the calm, in the harmony it needs to be in so we can hear our spirit and listen and learn to take the steps we need to take. Now, I, I don't know. Um, it has to do because of um, ancestral stuff. It has to do because of life traumas and how they're raised or what happens to them. And, but they're, they're not meant to just suffer all their life. None, none of us are. It's it's interesting to me that we've managed to go through um, just just about an hour and a half of recording, and at no point have I heard you reference or or placate any of the any of the things that we go through. Some of us go through being related to some kind of a negative energy a negative um a, a completely polarizing um something completely the opposite of the 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 love and the good of the oneness and basically you know what i'm talking about is uh, you know the belief in negative energy um demons dark entities, oppressive entities in your, in your world of, of, of your belief. Are those things active? And oh yes. And it, is it a conscious choice by you not to, not to mention them and not to draw any attention to them? No, no, the conversation just hadn't gone there. Okay. <laughs> um, no, I find, I find, um, in working in people's biofields, right, and um, I find ancestors, and I've described them as low energy, right? That's how I see it, low voltage, um, with the established mindset most of them had. Um, when they died, which was what they had when they lived, that they're in some, um, hopefully in their journey, they're growing closer and closer to ready to be in the oneness and those old patterns start to drop off, right? But um, but in the biofields, definitely there are a variety of different energies that, that yes, um, um, some are a lot of what I would call negative energy, and I don't know if it uh, necessarily if it has a negative charge or if it's just real volt, uh, low voltage. I would ge- guess some of it's negative charge, actually. Um, but okay, there's different kinds. So, like some of the energy in a person's biofield, sometimes. I mean, I've talked about the stuck pockets that were the emotions we felt, mm-hmm. and we all have that. But um, say energy, um, it's the laws of the universe, like attracts like. Sometimes like magnets, like att- uh, um, attracts opposites, right? But it's like if we're um, in low voltage or if we're always, say, angry or or in that uh, unhelpful patterns, then energy that's 
particles and light waves, it's, it's not necessarily entities. You know, it's not, um, say, what some people might call fallen angels. It's not a devil or demon. Sometimes it's just negative energy that becomes attracted to a person and holds a place in the person's biofield because that person was that, uh, was that vibration, and so it attracted the like vibration. And so the sound waves of the tuning forks um, release that, right? And then uh, sometimes there's energy that you find that's uh, surrounding a person that is um, a negative energy, but it's not, but it is that person's energy because when I, when I cut it, when I, uh, cut the cords that bind it to your biofield, the electric cords, <laughs> then I um, use the magnetism of the forks. I round it up <laughs> and I have a positive ley line vortex in my home. That's, that's the place the ancestors transition into the next realm. It creates that, that place of energy that makes a transition to the next realm possible. And so I pour this negative energy surrounding the person into that vortex to be transmuted. Sometimes it doesn't want to go. And that's, I can't force it because even basic energy has a sentiency because that's God, right? That's the, that's who God is, or that's the the energy of the universe. And so I can't make them, but I make them leave the person and make them leave my home. But sometimes that energy pours down into the vortex and transmutes up into the oneness and stays there. And I feel it, it has changed. It changes its vibration to joy, which is the, the joy of those in the oneness of uh, being fully part of that again. Um, and sometimes when I pour it, pour it down to the, into the vortex, it tr- transmutes and goes into the the realm of the oneness and then comes back and pours itself back into the person and so to me that signals to me that it was that person's energy to start with and so i i can't explain anything there are i have encountered um beside the ancestors there are what you might call fallen angels. I don't know if fallen, they're fallen in the way that their mindset is not the, the, um, the abundance and safety and uh, free choice of God, right? It's, it's the mindset um, that many of us so often have uh, of the lack and fear and control or being controlled. And so they're in there by choice, because they they either didn't believe or didn't want to be in the oneness and they wanted to experience um, more um, control or more power here or be what they thought was God here, right? Yeah. And and um, so those are different energies. There's other energies around the biofield. Sometimes there's like a um, cement block around the ankle, you know, like the mob might use, right? <laughs> you find that. And it's, it's excuse me, stuck energy that eventually releases. Sometimes there's chains, you know, like um, slaves, right? 
would have on their ankles. Uh, you can find that holding you back from moving forward, right? Both of those do hold you from going toward the future. They hold you in your old patterns and in your old thought waves and in your old emotions, but they release and then they go. And anything in a biofield session is only released because it's ready. It only appears when it's ready like the it just does. Um, so, the sound waves release it and it comes. So the negativity, the the oppressiveness, the the things that seem to act against us in our pursuit of love and joy and happiness. Are you saying that much of that is something that is um, manifested by us because of our lack of determination to find that happiness in the oneness does that manifest and turn into something that we can't fight uh, easily well changing old habits is a lot of work it takes a lot of diligence and a lot of time and a lot of help um, I, I don't know if the I don't know if that manifestation of what we're in is all that keeps us. Obviously, I don't think it's manifest um, to a little child who's abused. Right? They yeah. don't have the the choice. But um, but because because the mindset of God or the universe is free will and free choice, they have to let us everybody have their choice right and so sometimes it creates situations that are very not helpful um or that we don't see them as helpful we don't feel them as helpful and certainly cause um a lot of blocks in our lives right um in our path to that joy um so i i you know, I don't think any of us have all the answers. I, I sure right. don't. Right. Um, I'm. I like to learn about it and try to have understanding. You know, to um, see what rings true in me, to experience, um, experience who God is and how it works, right? And experience. Oh, one question I have. I meant not question for you, but a question like. Um. As part of this law of attraction, right, that you were talking about, as um, definitely um, I have found that in my life, um, say, if I, the more I think I don't, I'm not enough or don't have enough or can't do enough, um, the more of that manifests in my life, right? right. And um, I've, now I lost my train of thought. Well, I think, um, I, I think negativity has a much stronger attractive component than positivity. I think it's, it's much easier to, to gather negative things against yourself than it is for you to be of the mindset that you're going to attract positive things to yourself. Um, you know, it, it takes a lot of work. Yeah. It's, yeah it, it takes an off a cont continual intention and, um, always working toward that, trying to um, be aware of, you know, how you really are feeling about things 
and how your body, because like your body, you can feel it in your body if your spirit is not comfortable with a situation or with your reaction or something. You can learn to feel it in your body. It, it takes, most people aren't very sensitive to that, but through practice, you can become sensitive. And and so you can feel and, and try to be aware of, um, how you're feeling in your body to know if you're in agreement with what you're doing or not, and then learn to make choices from there. Um, but whether everything in life works on the that law of attraction, you know, like uh, the example of uh, abuse to little children, you know, I, I wouldn't think so. Um, but I, I don't know. Right. But, but we all they people have their free will and it doesn't always take into consideration the needs of others. Right. It certainly doesn't. Carla, it's been wonderful talking to you. Um I said at the top of the show that you had authored a book. And if you would, I'd like for you to tell the listeners about that book, where they can get it, and uh where they can find you and if they're interested in your services. Uh, a way to reach out to you. Okay, great. Um, my book is called Ancestral River, A Spiritual Journey for the Living and the Dead. And it's only available on Amazon right now, but it's in digital paperback and hardback. And um, let's see, you can... Because it's a new book and I'm a first-time author, you probably have to type in my name and then Ancestral River to find it. Um, my business, um, using the bio, um, tuning forks in the biofield, I specialize in ancestral clearing. And it's um, my business name is Ancestral River. And my website is ancestralriver.com. And you could contact me through there, through the contact page. Um, I also have, as it's a, um, on the website, it's also, there's a QR code in the, or just the website um, URL in the book where if you wanted to subscribe to the channel, you can download a free biofields, full length biofield session if you wanted to get an idea of what it was like. Awesome. And, um, I guess that's all. I just would like to thank everybody and thank you, Eric. I, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been a spirited conversation. Uh, took a took a turn there that I don't think either of us were expecting to talk about. And um, I applaud your um, your strength for being able to talk about that and get through it. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Good night. Good night, everyone.